Welcome to the sermon podcast of Knowing God Church. Knowing God Church is passionate about knowing God and proclaiming His glory in all that we say and do. We gather together weekly for worship and expository preaching through the Bible, verse by verse. For more information, please visit our website at knowinggodchurch.com. We're going to be in John chapter 12 tonight, starting in verse 34, and we're going to read through to verse 50 together. All right, let's read from John 12, 34. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke as he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Gospel of John. We thank you for where you've brought us in this book. We thank you for this entire section, what we've learned through it. We ask that as we come to the conclusion of this section that you would um, just feed us, feed our soul, help us to, to truly dig into this and understand what you want us to learn from it. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We're still hurting. All right, so um, the title tonight is The Great Rejection. We've mentioned this before, but this whole section of John is called, by me at least, The Great Rejection. Because I think the whole point of it is John is showing us that no matter what Jesus did and no matter what he said, and the miracles increased and the teaching got more intense, but the, the rejection of him also increased and got more intense. And now we come to the conclusion, the final portion of this section of the Gospel of John, where we see it loud and clear. We see the whole picture summarized. We see the objections and we see the great rejection and everything. That's a tremendous um, portion of Scripture, and I wish we could dedicate much more time to it. So we have basically five sections today that we're going to discuss. And they all start with the word the great because 
it's cute. So the title was The Great Rejection, but the sections are The Great Objection, The Great Warning, The Great Rejection. All right. So the first one was The Great Objection. Second one was The Great Warning. The third one is The Great Rejection. The fourth is The Great Reason. And finally, the great summary. So first we have the great rejection in verse 34. When the crowd said to him, But we heard out of the law that the Christ is going to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So to give you an idea of what they're talking about, uh, this term, Son of Man, the way Jesus uses it, comes from Daniel 7, verse 13. And the Jews are aware of this verse as well. They know it's a verse talking about their Messiah. It's Daniel 7, verse 13, and it says, With the clouds of heaven, one, like a son of man, was coming to him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which will not pass away. So here we have actually a tremendous verse we could look at. All peoples and nations and every language might serve him. Clearly more than just a Jewish Messiah we're talking about here. But that part everlasting kingdom is starting to trip them up now because here Jesus is saying, I must die. We saw last week he said, I, I, I'm going to die now. That's the next thing on my agenda is to go die. I'll be lifted up and then I'll draw all men to myself. And so they're saying that doesn't make sense to me because from what we know from Daniel, you're not supposed to die. Your kingdom is supposed to last forever. They don't realize that Christ brought a spiritual kingdom. But you might remember, because we went through it together in John 4, when uh, the woman by the well was asking him, my people say to worship God in this mountain, but your people say to worship him in that mountain. He's saying, none of that matters. Those who want to worship God are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's no longer about a physical location. He's not bringing in a physical kingdom. He's bringing in a spiritual kingdom. And we are now part of that spiritual kingdom, which is everlasting. And it didn't die when he was crucified. On the contrary, it got its strength through the crucifixion when he, when he cast out death and he broke the bonds of sin by paying for our sins and then rose from the dead. So, um, so they're tripping up with this. They're, well, but you, you're calling yourself the Messiah and yet uh, you say you're going to die. I don't understand. But you know the reason why this is kind of funny though is because none of this is new. You know, John, as we've been going through the Gospel of John together, um, Jesus has been explaining these things to them over and over again. And we find here that their great objection to him in the end is nothing new. He's already answered these questions. And, you know, that's not too unlike today. Um, often you'll talk to someone about, you know, does God exist or whatever. And it's like they're still using the same arguments that are supposed to prove God doesn't exist that have already been proven over and over again to be, you know, faulty arguments or at least to have, have problems with the, the absolute kind of claims of there cannot be a God or whatever. And yet he will continue to use these Objections, And it's the same thing, like you, you could talk about why does, how could a loving God ever allow suffering? You know, there are really good answers to those questions when you really dive into that and really look at, you know, who God is and what creation is and what sin has done to it and all that. And yet, people are going to keep using that objection because it gets to a point where they're just not willing to follow. And so they're kind of repeating the same objections. Even though Jesus has already explained all of this to them, here they are again saying, I don't understand how you could die if you're the Messiah, so you must not be the Messiah. See how they ended it with, who is this son of man? Who is the Messiah then? If you're not him, if you're going to die, then who's the Messiah? So um, 
it's a great, this is what I've called the great objection, but it's really nothing new. So it's kind of a, of a sarcastic subtitle there. It's not a new objection. So his answer is the next section, which I've called the great warning. He answers them with a warning. He doesn't give them a direct answer. He doesn't actually answer their question the way they're hoping for. He's not going to give them a good theological basis again for why the Messiah must die. He's moving on, but he's giving them a warning. Starting in verse 35, he says, For a little while longer the light is among you. And for those who are joining just now, we're in John 12, verse 35. He says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. And these things Jesus spoke, and he went away, and he hid himself from them. Now this is a tremendous symbol here. Jesus has been doing public ministry for about three and a half years, they think. But he's coming up to where he's like, well, I'm going to die any moment now. My time has come. Last week we saw he's finally, he finally said, my time has now come. And now he says, while you have the light, walk in the light, because once I'm gone, it's too late for you. And he goes and he hides himself from them, symbolically saying, I am leaving you soon. Now, all this talk about light should remind us of when in John 8, verse 12 and, and 21, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he said in verse 21, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you can't come. So he's given this warning to them before. And what he means by this, about when he says, when I'm gone, you know, if you haven't walked in the light while I'm here, then when I'm gone, darkness will overtake you. Um, I thought of a, you know, a picture. Imagine that you're walking in the forest at night with friends and one friend's got a flashlight. So he's holding the flashlight, but you're benefiting from it. So it's his light on the trail, and while you're walking with him, you're benefiting from it. But if you part from your friend and go on a different trail, the light's going with him, and now you're gone. Unless you've gotten your own light, now you're in darkness. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you who don't believe in me, you still benefited from my light while I was here. You still benefited from my teaching. Even if you didn't follow me, when I challenged your motives and questioned your heart, that probably still got you to think, and that probably still blessed you in some way to you know, kind of reflect on your own spirituality. And then I also was ministering, and I was feeding people, I was healing people. So even for those who didn't believe, they still benefited from his light. Remember also the feeding of the 5,000. How after he did that, the next day, thousands were following him, and they found him again, and he said to them, you're not really following me for the miracle, you just want more food. So those who had benefited from him feeding them, many of them didn't even believe. And after that discourse, many of them turned away. And so he's saying here, while I'm with you, you better start walking with me. Stop asking the same questions, stop raising the same objections. You better start following me, because once I'm gone, I'm taking my light with me. But if you have walked with me, he says, he says uh, when you, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. See, there's a promise for us because in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said to us, you are now the light of the world. So when Jesus departs and takes his light with him, he's given it to us, and we are now the light of the world. Which is So when we're walking in the woods at night spiritually, we have a light. Whereas those who aren't walking with him, that are just standing on the sidelines and kind of watching it all happen, and they don't believe in him, when he leaves and takes his light with him, they're going to be in darkness. So it sounds, first of all, like this might be a strange response to their question because they're like, I don't understand. How could the Messiah die if he's supposed to live forever? And then he just says, walk while you have the light because when I'm gone, you're going to be in darkness. But it's actually not 
a strange response. It's a perfect response because all this should be review to them by this point. Right, they've been hearing these things. He's not saying anything new. He's been talking about how he must die and how he'll raise again. This is not new. Um, and it comes a point in time where they just need to believe because he's leaving soon. That's the great warning. That's what all those verses are about is this is the great warning. I am leaving soon, and if you're not following me, you're going to be in darkness. So now we come to kind of the main section of this whole teaching called the great rejection, which is also what the sermon title is called. This We've come many weeks to this point. We've been going through John for since January, and I, at least since February we've been in this section. I don't remember how many weeks we did on the introduction, but we've been in this second section, the great rejection for months until this point. We're finally here, and this is John basically summarizing for us, and we're supposed to feel the intensity of this. John has just laid out for us many miracles. He's laid out for us many teachings. We've gotten to see Jesus' heart, his compassion, how he loves people, how he cares for people, how he reveals the deepest truths about himself to those who are lowly. The Samaritan woman who's had multiple husbands, he tells her plainly, I'm the Messiah, but then he hides it from the proud until very recently. We've seen all these things, and now John takes us to the main point. This is why he showed us these things. In John 12, verse 37, But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the words of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, so they, couldn't, so they wouldn't see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. So again, this is the great rejection. And you might recall back to John chapter 1, verse 11, when John said, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That was the summary, and this is now the conclusion of that section. This is the point that John's trying to make. It's interesting here, quoting from Isaiah, because in one sense, all this happened before for Isaiah. When Isaiah saw God's glory and he said, Here am I, send me, God said to Isaiah, I'm going to send you to a people who are not going to repent and turn. And this is the same thing that Jesus now has gone through. He was sent by the Father to a people that would not, for the most part, receive him. So in Isaiah 6, verse 9, for example, God said to Isaiah, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render their hearts... Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitation. Houses are without people, and the land is utterly destroyed or utterly desolate. So this is an extreme situation here where God says, enough's enough. I'm done tr tr giving this people an opportunity. Um, they can no longer receive me. But go ahead and preach anyway. Go, I'm going to give you a message. Go preach to them, but they're not going to turn. And what happened after Isaiah's time, um, Jewish tradition shows that they say that he was martyred. He was sawn in half, actually. Um, but at the, at the end of this time period for Israel, they were sent off into Babylon, into captivity where, I mean, Babylon came in and just destroyed everything and then took them all captives away. So now, in Jesus' time, a few years from now, Rome is going to come in, and they're going to also destroy Jerusalem again, and Israel will be dispersed for 
for a very long time. So it's happened before, it's happening in Jesus' time, and it's also happening today. People that hear the gospel, they've heard it over and over again, they don't want to receive it. There comes a point in time where, where someone who dies rejecting Christ rejected him for the last time. And they never know when that's going to be. Someone who dies and had the chance to hear God and heard the gospel and rejected it, when they die, they didn't know that was their last chance when they died. And there comes a point in time where it's the last chance, and God says, enough's enough. And in one sense, we see that this is the judgment of God, when he gives us what we want until it destroys us. It destroyed Israel twice, and it'll probably destroy us, you know, that aren't, aren't following him today unless we turn. And we see that in Romans. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Romans chapter 1, we see this progression. We see that, you know, since creation, God's attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, they could be clearly seen, but they were without excuse and they still chose not to follow him. And because of that, their hearts were darkened. They started worshiping creation more than the creator. And so God gives them over to their lusts and degrading passions into a depraved mind. At some point, God just says, fine. If that's what you want to do, go ahead and just do it. He gives them over to it. And there's a finality in that. There's a sense of God saying enough's enough. And so we look at this section, and it said um, in verse 37, they were not believing. And because of that, then they couldn't believe. They rejected and rejected and rejected until God says, fine, you no longer can receive. Now your ears are blocked. Now your eyes are shut. You cannot receive. So it comes a point in time where God says enough is enough. One more passage uh, in this section, Hebrews chapter 3. I'm just going to read it, but Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray with their heart and they do not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my my rest. So these were the Israelites that had gotten taken out of Egypt, but then they wandered 40 years and the generation after them were allowed to go into the promised land because they rejected him after all the signs and God said, enough's enough, you're not entering my rest. So this is the, the great rejection. There's two parts to this, right? There's the people who have rejected God over and over again, and eventually God rejecting them, saying, now you cannot see, now you cannot hear, enough's enough. All right, so the next section is called the great reason. It's not a great reason at all. Um, John's going to let us know here really what's at the heart of everyone who really rejects God. And I understand that at times people need some time to process things. There are some real questions. If I wasn't a believer and someone presented me with the gospel for, for the first time and I'm looking back on a life of hardship and I've had family members who have suffered and I see what's going on in the world, I might have a lot of questions about how a loving God could allow all that. There are legitimate questions that I think some people need to get answered before they could really believe in God. But let's say those answers are, are given and they're without excuse. They, they hear the gospel. They see it. Historically, they can't really refute the evidence. They can't really argue against the, the, the scripture you've showed them, and they still choose to not believe. There's really one reason why, and that's the great reason, which is John gives us here in verse 42 and 43. John says, Nevertheless, many 
even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Now, it's easy to sound insensitive saying something like that, but the truth is that it's not really easy sometimes to follow God. And sure, it boils down to approval of men. Sure, and yet, in the persecuted areas where, the, where Christians are being crucified today for Christ, someone looking at that might decide, you know what, I don't really want to follow God because I don't want to die yet. Maybe I'll follow Him in a couple of years. And so sure, maybe the reason is approval of man, but that doesn't mean it's easy, right? Just because we have a, an answer doesn't mean suddenly it's easy to follow God. It still can be difficult, but this is the main reason why. Um, now some people, again, have legitimate reasons why, perhaps, um, there are some good arguments that need to be answered. There are well-intentional people that have good arguments or just confusing questions or they're in a different religion maybe and they think they've already got the truth and all that. So that, that can happen, but when you've presented someone with the gospel and they've heard it and the truth has entered into them and they, they recognize it as the truth, but they still choose to reject it, really the main reason is this. They wanted the approval of men more than God. So keep that in mind, because often if you're sharing the faith with somebody and you think you've done a great job, but they're still not converting, it's not your fault. You tried. You can just keep praying for them. They've got some inner stuff to work out. All right, so the last section, the great summary. And that's a really good title for this section because nothing in here is new. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time teaching on it. I'll read over it again. But the truth is that this is John now summarizing basically all of what Jesus said up until now, all of what they've rejected. He's letting us read and see this is Christ's heart. This is who he is. This is what he said. This is what they're rejecting. So he cried out and he said, he who believes in me doesn't believe in me, but in him who sent me. Now that's to say we're the same. Like he says next, he who sees me sees the one who sent me, which he said before as well. And then again, I come as light to the world so that everyone who believes won't remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and doesn't keep them, I don't judge him. I didn't come to judge, but to save the world. He who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him. So he, he said this before as well. He said, I didn't come to judge. I came to save and to give life. But he's also said things like, you have one who will judge you. It's Moses, because if you would have believed in Moses, you'd believe in me. And now he's saying about his own word, my own word will judge you because you should have heard my teachings and it was sufficient for you to believe. And again, you're only not believing because of you just want approval of man. So, uh, you know, you're going to be judged, but not by me, but by my words. My own words will judge you. He said that before. And then he says again, um, I didn't speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and to speak. I know his commandments eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. He said a lot before as well. We are one. I'm not against the Father. I'm not doing my own thing. I am on God's timetable. I've done everything he told me to do because he had to fulfill our righteousness. We talked about how when we put faith in Christ, there's two things that happen. The first thing is our sin gets transferred to him on the cross and he's paid for it. And the second thing that happens is his righteousness, which he earned through a perfect and obedient life, gets transferred to us, also called a double imputation. That's what he's saying here. So every part of this speech isn't something new. These are things that we've studied in great detail. We've heard Christ say to us. This is just a summary. But 
it's also, it says Jesus cried out. This is kind of his final thing he says publicly. The rest of the book, for the most part, Christ is speaking to his disciples and to the Father. Until he gets arrested and he's got to speak to the soldiers or they ask him a question and he answers. But for the most part, the next section we're calling the adoption because it's focused most on how Christ loves us, how he ministers to his disciples, how he's going to go away, how it's going to be better for us when he goes away because he's going to give us the Holy Spirit and he's just ministering to us and he's praying for us. He's praying to the Father. Then he's dying for us and he's raising again. That's the whole next section called the, um, the adoption. And again, it was summarized by John himself back in John chapter 1. And I'll, I'll end with this. John chapter 1, verse 11, was this whole section when he said, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And then in John 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, this is the next section, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And that'll be the next section starting next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the truth and for the depths and the riches of your glory. We thank you that we can participate with you in glory, that we can worship you, that you can meet us when we join together, whether we're here right now or we're at home listening or watching. We're all together, God, and in your spirit we're one. And I just thank you so much for that uniting power of the spirit. We ask that you'd help us know you more, that you'd help us to grow in our knowledge of you, help us to grow in our passion for you and our ability to live obediently to you and to your glory. Help us to know what you're calling us to do and how to do that for your glory. We just pray that the words spoken tonight, if they were from you, that they would stick. They'd, they'd, they'd dig deep into the soil of our heart and take root and produce fruit in our life. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Knowing God Church. Our desire is to bring glory to God and to be helpful to you in your pursuit of Him through expository preaching of the scriptures. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you have any questions or prayer requests, please visit our website at knowinggodchurch.com. 